chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall be called in his name. Let me just back up. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when he had opened his, their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Father, we're so excited to be able to celebrate you sending Jesus to this world. Thank you that he saved us, those of us that know him. Uh, Lord, we ask God that you would um, help us to receive everything you have for us this morning through your word. We're so thankful that we have your word to turn to. We have nothing else to say to anyone in this world except your word when it comes to eternal and spiritual things. May you fill our hearts and our minds and our souls full of your word so that we can be faithful ambassadors for you and be able to preach your gospel boldly and be able to disciple many. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Matthew begins in verse 18 by saying, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, and his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, 
Just making sure that's working. <laughs> there we go. That's for you. The clock's for you. It's not for me. Um, let's start, start back there. But she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. When, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now we're told there in the beginning, kind of in the verse 18 there in the middle, it says he was betrothed. In that culture, that was, uh, that was marriage. I mean, that was, they were married. They had to actually get a certificate of divorce to not be married. They just hadn't consummated the marriage there. And so that's kind of how it was there. It's, our engagements are not that way, but there, theirs was kind of, there was a time before this that would be the time that would be the equivalent of our engagement time. This is actually, they're married. They just haven't, um, consummated the marriage yet and so we're told that after notice after um there when when you know they had come you know and in this relationship there that before they had come together she's they was found with child that's what i'm trying to say there there she was found with child after that so they were he was Found, they were found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, none of us are going to think that if we're Joseph on our own. Okay, that's there's no historical record of anyone having this happen before. So, and, and he's going to be a, do the right thing. He's going to to you know, there's laws associated with this thing in this whole situation, and so he wants to follow that. He's a just man, so he didn't want to humiliate her publicly. Um, there's a lot of other things that could have happened. He wanted just to spare her of that. That's what his natural inclination um, would be, to put her out secretly so that no one would see. Um, but then it says in verse 20, but while he thought about these things, and I, again, stop there for a second, I bet he's thinking about things. How would he thinking about things, you know, and what's going on, and what am I going to do, and how am I going to handle this, and what, you know, I mean, you've already done so much. You're already basically married and so how do you do that and so then it continues in verse 20 behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the holy spirit and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins so it calls said you know this happened behold that means carefully consider behold an angel of the lord appeared to him and he calls him joseph son of david through mary's lineage and through david's or joseph's lineage was king david so even though joseph was not his his biological father of course in that culture the man that carried on the inheritance and, and all of that in many ways. And so the Holy Spirit wants us to know, and you can see this in the different genealogies, he wants us to know that Jesus has the lineage of David as a son of David, no matter how you slice it, either biologically or legally, which is interesting. And he tells him to not be afraid, which tells us he was afraid. You know, And so he's afraid what's going to happen. Of course, you have to realize, put yourself in his sandals or whatever you know he is uh thinking about the implications of this and you know i'm sure his heart was broken and all of that and this angel comes and supernaturally compensates for the situation and he said don't be afraid to take mary for your wife she what the 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 child inside is, is is of the holy spirit she will bring forth a son so he's he gets to know that but there's no sonograms back then there's he gets to know that okay i'm having a boy 
uh, gets to, to, to find that out. And we'll call his name Jesus. And Jesus is the Greek version of the, of the Hebrew Joshua. So it's Joshua. It means Jehovah is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. And it says, and that's why it says for, notice the word for, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he gave him that name because he's gonna, it's his mission to save people from, from their sins, save us from, from our sins. Mankind's greatest need is salvation, is, is forgiveness. It's not a great teacher, although Jesus was. Not a great physician, although Jesus was. There's all these things that's all wrapped up in who he is. You can't separate it out. But the main spiritual need that we had and humanity has, and that's why the Father sent Jesus and how, why he is the gift that we get to enjoy and celebrate today is because he came to die. And he came to die because he died in our place, because we needed forgiveness and so he took the punishment that we could never take, or never, I mean, that we could, I mean, you don't, he didn't want us to pay that punishment. So we, he pays the price that we could never pay, dying on the cross, taking our place so that we can receive him as a gift based on his righteousness being put to our account. And that he loves us based on the fact that he is love. And so it's beautiful. He thought of everything. How was God going to be loving and save mankind, but yet not let down his, or compromise his being, him being just? So he's able to accomplish both of those things because of the cross. So our biggest need is salvation. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. Your biggest need is salvation. Your biggest need to have, you, to, have, to have the forgiveness of your sins. God may have used other circumstances to get your attention, to bring you here or whatever. Or maybe he's, you know, you've just been invited or whatever, and that's great. And, and so we have to recognize that our greatest need is forgiveness. All the other things that he uses to get our attention, it's not like he doesn't care about those problems and issues. He's going to get to those. But he starts with our first need, and our first need is forgiveness related to just our relationship with him. He's holy, and he's the only one that's holy in, in that sense. And then he wants to have a relationship with sinful man, but because we're separated because of that sin, he had to do something. He had to compensate, so he sent Jesus to die in our place. We get his righteousness, he got our sin. It's called the great exchange. He paid for everything that we needed to be paid, paid for related to our salvation, and we couldn't pay for it. We can't save ourselves, but he was able to do that uh, because he is who he is. Beautiful. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. It's beautiful. And Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, talks about this virgin that would conceive and that he's quoting. But this virgin, like some people criticize this related to Christianity because they say, well, that Hebrew word meant young maiden. So it doesn't, he doesn't have that in his mind when he wrote this. But it could refer to both. And there's a reason why it had to be that specific word. Because there was an immediate fulfillment in Isaiah that needed to happen. There was an immediate child that was going to be born. So in that definition of a young maiden, that was going to happen. But yet at all, that same word can also be translated virgin. How we think of that word. And, and that's how Mary could. Uh, and she was probably 15 or 16, somewhere in there. That's just pretty young. And, and she could have that type of uh, description uh, because it, that word had a dual usage. Uh, so it's just amazing to think about God coming with us. The word means God with us. 
And the best set of verses in Philippians 2, uh, verses 5 through 8 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in, in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the ultimate expression of humility, of him coming, and just by him coming to this earth and becoming a human, he had incredible humility just to do that. To say nothing of coming without a sinful nature, to be to be born in a, a you know a, a feeding tr- I mean a, a cave and be placed in a feeding trough. That's what a manger was a feeding trough for animals. There's no room for them in the inn. You know all of that. We know the account and and so cr- incredible humility. And he came that way on purpose. And it's, I always like to remind ourselves why he came like that. He came like that so everybody could relate to him. Most of the world is poor, and we we live in this bubble. And we just forget that the whole rest of the world, much of the world is poor. He didn't want to come so that people could, I can't relate to that Messiah at all. So that's why he came, and also as, as an example for us to be humble and to be able to come in humility and so forth. It's beautiful. I mean, he, he's thought of everything, hasn't he? Hasn't he just thought of everything? It's just unbelievable how, how amazing our, the plan of salvation is and what God did. Verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till she was, had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now chapter 2 begins this way. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have been seen in seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these are wise men. They're not like most of us, wise guys. They're wise men. You know, they're they're been called astrologers. That's fine. They could have studied the constellation. That's great or whatever. But they're from the east. They're quite far away. So they saw this star because what we're going to see here is this isn't the same night. I know your nativity scenes have the three wise men there. And, you know, again, like I say all the time, you can change it. You can have the three wise men kind of far off, you know, and put them further away from your nativity scene because they get there, but it's not that same night, most likely. Um, and we'll go over that a little bit, not bogging down on it. But the, the point is they came from the east. They saw the star. They had to get there from the east. They saw the star, and so they had to get there. It takes a while. And they came to worship him, we're told, um, and, you know, there's a lot of worship denial in this world. Like, well, what do you mean worship him? That's a new concept for a lot of people. I don't even think about worshiping, they say. That's just not normal for humans to do that. Yeah, it is, because you worship yourself, first of all. You know, and anything that you put above God is an idol, and you're worshiping that idol. And that doesn't have to be a little wooden image. It could be a hobby. It could be a, a place of employment. It could be a relationship. It could be anything that you put before God is an idol. And you're worshiping that idol. And it's funny how our idols somehow look like ourselves. They look like ourselves. because we, And it just shows us how much we, we kind of worship ourselves. And so worship is not a, a, a new thing. People do it all the time. They just don't do it in the sense that um, they think of what worship is. And so um, anyway, they want to worship him 
It's great. It's, a, it's just amazing how that's all happening. Then we see in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was the King Herod troubled? Because King Herod was paranoid. When you look up paranoid in WikiLeaks, not leaks, that's a whole nother sermon. WikiLeaks, a whole nother sermon. Wikipedia, there we go. At least I didn't go wiki, wiki, wiki or talk about Ewoks or, you know, I didn't get that bad. So there's grace there. <laughs> but um, back to Wikipedia. If you look at Wikipedia and you, and you, and you look up paranoid, you, you could see a, a p- picture of Herod there because he was so he killed his family he killed his I mean, children he killed just so paranoid about someone taking his place but notice it says there in the last part of verse three it says all and all Jerusalem with him wait a minute I don't remember reading that a whole lot before did you see that before and all Jerusalem with them why are they afraid they don't have a throne that they're concerned about they're not paranoid because first of all I believe it has to do with they know Herod, and they know how paranoid he is. And so they know, and we, we know from the later in the account related to what he did in Bethlehem and all the children under five, all the boys he slaughtered, had slaughtered. So there, is he going to, you know, is he here? Is he going to see him as a threat? And, you know, there could have been that angle, but also just he's unpredictable and volatile. So we don't know what he's, what he's going to do and all of that. What kind of, what kind of king is coming? He could be worse than Herod. I mean, so they're afraid as well. Verse four, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, be in Bethlehem of Judea, in Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a, a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So much there. Now they quote Micah 5.2. It's a scripture that we should memorize. And the interesting thing about this prophecy is that, and I've mentioned this in the past, there were two Bethlehems. There was one in the Galilee up north, and there was one in Judea. And in, the, in, in Micah 5.2, it says Ephratha. It says Bethlehem Ephratha. That's designated the one in Judea. Matthew, when he's quoting probably the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, he's probably helping us out with the interpretation of that by adding that it's the Bethlehem in Judea. So God nailed the actual, the correct Bethlehem. That's like if there were two Lathrops or two Mantecas in the, in the world and he nailed the right, you know, the specific one. And, and so he says, you are not the least among the rulers of Judah. They had a very humble, even though David was from there, they had a very humble um, background and, and reputation and all of that. And he's saying, don't think about that you're not insignificant. I should have used the word insignificant. You're, you're insignificant because the ruler, a ruler, capital R ruler, is going to come out of you who will shepherd my people Israel. My people Israel. Think about that. We think of Israel as a country. But right here he's saying Israel is a people. And that's the thing because Israel can, was scattered for all that time until 1948. And they weren't scattered anymore. Fulfilled Bible prophecy and all these things. So Israel are a people. Just like church is not a building. My voice just cracked. I'm going through puberty again. <laughs> I wish my son though it happened more with my son. But anyway, uh, enough about that. So the, the you know the you know it's a, it's a it's so important to understand that shepherd a true shepherd is all that God has wanted 
to be in our lives. He's want, you know, he wept and like they're sheep without a shepherd. He wept over Jerusalem. He wanted so badly to be their shepherd, but he's not going to violate their free will and force them. He's inviting himself, but they didn't receive him. His own received him not, we're told in the, in the Gospel of John. So he wanted to shepherd his people, Israel. He's the good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He's called the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the singular good shepherd. And, and he just wants to care for us. And those weren't, just like today, those, those jobs weren't you know, looked up at like high in society. It's one of the lowest jobs you could have in that society and in our society too. Over there in Israel today, you'll see the shepherds there with the sheep and everyone's like, yeah, big deal. You know, it's not really a big thing that everyone wants to be, you know, but it's great because God knows the value of loving people and caring for people. And that's what a shepherd does, cares for the sheep. Can't wait for us to get to John because there's so much about that in John. Remember, 90% of John's content is unique to John. So I'm very excited about that whenever we get there. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them that that what time the star appeared so it's all about timing for him he wants to track it down track that child down and get that find that who that is he's a threat as long as there's another it's like this is in prophecy and all this these wise men come they see this star all of that speaks more than just happenstance or or coincidence to Herod he's so paranoid he's probably mentally you know beyond what normal paranoia would be there and so he wants to track down uh, this this king verse 8 and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So that word child there is mostly used for not infants. Okay? So, that's, so he, wants, he recognizes that and he wants to worship also, but we know that's not his motivation. And when they had heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. So that, 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 this is interesting to me because God, I believe, supernaturally made that star appear in the first place. You know, people get in these theories and the constellations and this is the year that this star was here and they're like trying to figure it all out from a natural standpoint and God could have done that. I believe this is a supernatural star because it appears at ter- certain times and leaves at certain times. Stars don't do that. And a star is, you know, I'm pretty sure if you look up at a star, it's not really pointing to some specific, even continent, you'd be able to say that. You know, I mean, this is super natural. And to me, it's always, it's just always spoken to me of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit supernaturally made that star appear. Or it could have been a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that we've never even seen anywhere else in Scripture. And the reason why I believe that is because the Spirit's ministry, and I know this hadn't happened because he hadn't come in the sense that Jesus promised it and all of that, but still, he, I believe his ministry of pointing to Jesus started back then. It didn't just start after the resurrection. And so I believe that he is pointing this, these magi to Jesus. And because we're told Jesus would later say in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 32... Or actually, moving back up, uh, John chapter 15, verse 25, 26, rather. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit always testifies of G- to Jesus, of Jesus, and he points people to Jesus. So if you want to get in line with what the Holy Spirit's ministry is, 
point people to Jesus. That's what you should promote. Make sure that Jesus is seen. Make sure Jesus is famous. Make sure people see him for who he is. Whenever I'm in a hard situation, a counseling appointment, or speaking with someone, and I don't know what to say, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, and I've learned this from mentors and everything, just how can I point them to Jesus? I'm thinking in my mind. I'm praying at that moment. People are talking to me. And I'm praying, you know, help me, God. I don't know what to say. And how can I point them to Jesus? That's all we got to do. How do I point them to Jesus? It's like solve so much. And the Holy Spirit will get behind that. And he still works and does that in every situation. You know, Jesus said in John 12, verse 32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So when Jesus was lifted up, he was on the cross. And when he was lifted up and he fell into that hole or whatever it was to hold that cross there, and he was lifted up on that cross, that's what the Holy Spirit, from that point on, related to salvation after he rose from the dead, drawing people to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And, and, and we're told in that verse that he will draw all peoples, plural. So not just some peoples. We get really comfortable around our, peop, our peeps, you know, that are like us. He's going to draw all peoples, not just some. Don't let a teacher tell you that he only draws certain people to himself. He says right there in way other places. I mean, in John 17, we're told he calls all men everywhere, all men everywhere to repent. All, not some, all. And he says, all peoples. I will draw all peoples. That's plural. That's all different races. That's all different backgrounds. It's all different. That's, that's why I just, any kind of church that has one particular race represented, I don't, I don't understand that. I know there's geographical locations and there's all these complicated things or whatever, but God loves everybody. And another thing in Acts 17, it talks about that he placed every person in a specific place in the world that he might seek, that they might grope or seek after him, although none of us are far, that far away from him. So all the places where he's placed everyone in this world, it's, it's for them to draw to him and seek after him. And there are circumstances in the places where they live which makes it to where it's for them and what they need to be able to come to Christ um, in, a, in, a, in a very efficient way. Verse 10, Then when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You can't say that you have more joy than you do in the last part of verse 10. How are you going to say that? How are you going to say they had more joy than that? Exceedingly great joy, just like we've been singing about. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, wait a minute, I thought he was in a, I thought he was in a stable. Got to be a Berean. Look at that. And when he, they had come into the house, there was no houses. They couldn't even have, didn't have, even have an inn on that night. They had to be in a, in a cave where they stored animals. That's why the manger was there, the feeding trough, into which they into whom or which yeah which into which they placed Jesus there so unless someone saw that heard that baby cry invited him into their house which could have happened then this is another day this is another time I think the star appeared when he was born they saw it from the east and they came quickly but they still came later some people say weeks or months and then they came back down to Bethlehem and then the star appeared to lead them to where the baby was in whatever house they were at they hadn't gone to Egypt yet and for sure haven't gone back up to Nazareth there. So you have to look closely. The word child means like a toddler, not an infant. And they're coming into a house, not a cave. 
So again, adjust your um, nativity scene. It's okay. People will ask, why are your magi in the, in the, in the, in the dining room and, and, and your, your nativity scenes in the, in the kitchen or in the living room or whatever? Because they didn't come the exact night. It's okay, but they're still there. They're going to make it. You know, you can help them through that. Give it a chance to open up the word and look at it, you know, all of that. So anyway, they saw the young child. There's the word again, child. It's not an infant. With Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. This is the be- one of the best absolute best descriptions of worship to fall down right before the king that's the best description and that's what they did they didn't wait at all they didn't ask permission to fall down they didn't you know it was just there he's here we know that this supernatural star that's here is supernatural something beyond anything that we've seen we know it's his star we were told that remember they the magi said that we have seen his star it's not just any star his star so they go and they worship him. It's beautiful. They fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. And that's why we give gifts. So if you want to be really biblical, give gifts later on. This, my kids would love this. Give the gifts later on. Of course, gifts on Christmas, but gifts later on, you know, to, to time that, you know, be in line with the Magi coming later and all that. So they get gifts on more than one day. I mean, hey, if I were a kid, I'd be working that angle like you wouldn't believe to have that happen. Mom, it's biblical. Come on. You know, <laughs> Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. This is beyond just being wise. This is God intervening here. They departed for their own country another way. So this is this account of Jesus coming in the flesh. Now, there was 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. And it's the time after the last prophet spoke and John the Baptist was technically the last Old Testament prophet, but he was there as a forerunner to, to prepare the way for Jesus. So for 400 years, there's a lot of things that happened during that 400 years. So the, it's not like God didn't stop working, he didn't stop caring for people and all of that, but there was a time, there's a perfect timing. We're told in, in, in Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son in Galatians. And that word time is a very specific Word. It's not the word for chronology. It's, an, it's a word for opportunity in, in a specific time. And many times it's translated opportunity. So there was the Roman roads that needed to have been built for Paul to travel on. There needed to be Greek, uh, Koine Greek, common Greek that was popular, that there was a common language that everyone would understand. So when Paul would speak Greek and all of that, they'd understand. There had to be, you know, all these prophecies fulfilled. There's a very specific time. And why do I bring that up? I bring it up because there's way more prophecies talking about Jesus' second coming. Way more in the Bible. And it came true to a T, his first coming. We're talking about that related to Christmas, right? His first coming. All the way down to the predicting the very day he would present himself as the Messiah on Palm Sunday. Daniel prophesied the exact day that that happened. And he knew that was going to happen the Sunday before he was crucified. And all of that. So there's perfect timing for when Jesus came and all of that. God knows that. How, if he's, he lives in Nazareth. That's, that's where they were living. But the prophecy says Bethlehem. And the Bethlehem in Judea. So they had to somehow get him down there. And the way that that happened is through this decree that we, that's in another account. Related to everyone has to be registered. And everyone has to go to their home city or whatever. So they had to go down there. I mean, can you imagine you women? And I don't know anything about what it's like being pregnant. Trust me. I'm not even pretending to say that. But imagine being that pregnant and going 
all the way down from um, the, the Galilee down to Jerusalem, or Bethlehem, which is right by Jerusalem. I mean, to- talk about just grueling pain and all of that. And then there's no place for them, and they have to be in an in a animal, a cave for animals. Think how discouraging. I'm already talking about hormones or anything. <laughs> That's a whole other level. I'm just talking about just circumstances and just dealing with, have to deal with all of that. And, and, but look what God was doing. And that speaks to the fact that from a human standpoint, things can look so bad and so dark and so without hope just before something crazy amazing happens. And God does that in our lives. Well, he will lead us to a point and we have to be honoring him. What he wants us to be doing is honoring him through the process so that we're honoring him with our faith all the way through up to the very end. And then the brand new thing happens. And the amazing thing happens. And then we see his glory. And then we look back and say, I I honored you and I glorified you through that whole process. I didn't waver too much, you know, and you're gracious anyway, but I honored you through the whole thing. And, and, And that's just how our lives go. Jesus said, in this life, you will face tribulation. It's a promise. We don't like to quote it. We don't claim it. But it's a promise that we have to keep. We have to, in other words, we have to walk in that and let him work through those things as if he wanted us to not go through that. He would have said, oh, don't worry about it. In this life, you won't face tribulation. <laughs> he didn't say that. You will face tribulation. But he uses that to make us more like Christ, more, more to stre- be stretched more, to be more dependent upon him, to be able to weep with those who weep. How can we weep with those who weep if we haven't gone through anything close to what they're going through? How can we, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, comfort those with the comfort with which we've been comforted. See, if we haven't gone through anything, it's like, it's like a young man teaching marriage classes when he's never been married. Who's going to attend that? But th- that stuff happens. I've seen it. But, you, you know, going through something, you have, you have that perspective. I can help young pastors in many ways because I used to be a young pastor. I can help new senior pastors and go, let me give you the 40,000 things I did wrong so that you don't have to make those same mistakes. You know, I have credibility in those areas, but you have credibility in ways that I don't have. You have things that you're going through that you uniquely can speak to people about that I can't. That's why it's so important for the body of Christ to be willing to be used in any way that God wants us to be used and utilize our, utilize our experience. I want to close with this, with... Uh, quoting John 3. John 3, verse 14 and 15, that's before verse 16 that we like to quote, but it's important. John chapter 3, verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Begotten means one and only. That's what the word begotten means in this. There was no, obviously he pre-existed. I mean, he's eternal. So there was no time where Jesus was born before the manger or came into existence before the manger. Begotten is speaking of one and only there. Okay? His only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's, I wish Christians, myself included, would quote verse 17 as much as we quote verse 16. Because people think that God hates them, that he's mad at them, that he's against them, or else why would I be going through this? And maybe you're here today and you've gone through some rough things 
And you're thinking that God's against you when he's not against you at all. He's completely for you. He died for your sins. In fact, he died for sins that you and I haven't even committed yet. Unbelievable to think about. But, but we think sometimes God wants to condemn us and all of that. But he says that we're condemned already in the sense that we've, all, we've already not received Christ. We're born in that condition. And he wants to change that by us having received Christ and so forth. We don't want to face Jesus as our judge. Nobody should in terms of salvation. But we need to face him as our savior and as he gives us our rewards and we talk about why we did what we did and it's going to be a conversation and it's going to be those loving eyes and that the grace and the love and all of that. But also the heartbreak on our side because of all the missed opportunities and all the things we did wrong, you know, with the wrong motives and all the things that we didn't do out of love and all the things he told us to do that we didn't do. And we're, he's maybe show us those, the implications of that and what it meant and how that followed through into different lives and how it, all of that. I mean, we have eternity. It's not like there's a time crunch. And plus he has the capacity to do all of this so fast in us with our new bodies. But think about the big picture here. We're getting ready to go to a whole other area, whole new people there. It's not just the people in those neighborhoods. All other people are going to be being there too. And we have to be caring about all peoples, like I said. He died for all peoples. He loves everybody the same. He, lo- he doesn't prefer one kind of person over another. He loves everybody the same. He made us, you know what we are? We are artwork on the, on the refrigerator door. That's what we are. And he loves that artwork. And he wants to make us and do a beautiful expression of his grace. And he wants us to affect others. He wants to get our attention off ourselves and onto others. I'm going to say it one more time. He wants to get our attention off ourselves and onto others as we focus on him. That's the abundant life. If you're thinking the abundant life is anything other than living for him and living for others you're going to be disappointed many, much of the time because all he wants to do is make us into like himself. And he's all about others. He's all about the Father. He's all about others, just like that. And that's why he gave us that, that commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is similar to it, to love your neighbor as you already love yourself. And if we follow that, I mean, who knows what he's going to do over there? I have no idea. And it's beautiful. I'm so excited. There's people already talking to me. Yeah, we're going to come. You know, the other church that was here temporarily, we didn't move with them. We don't want to be out of our neighborhood. We don't want to, you know, there's a guy that, was, that stays in a, in a van there and parks in different places. And he serves in the, in the food distribution thing that's across the street. And he's homeless, but he serves. And he's a Christian. And he's just wanting people to love him and wanting a place to worship. I mean, I could go down the list of the people that I've spoken with and all of that. It says nothing of our evangelism explosion, evangelism training that we're going to do, and all the outreaches to children there. I mean, we have no clue what he's going to do, but we have to stay close to him. We have to stay in unity. We have to stay available, and we have to recognize that he cares about all people, even the people we aren't comfortable around. You know, he doesn't really care all that much about that, (laughs) how much we are comfortable around certain people or others. How comfortable do you think he could have been with us? I mean, that's just how it is. So he's preparing us for great things. Our last Sunday here, he's done great things here. We've been totally blessed by this building and being out of the school and being in a very, you know, visible area and all of that. But he's, gonna, he's planting us in a place around neighborhoods and people. And if we are flexible and open and love people unconditionally and we show our love by actions... And we don't put off any aura of pride or 
you know, thinking that we're better than anybody and just welcoming people in. I mean, I, we're all going to be tested. We're all going to be challenged. He's going to bring people that were like, okay, I'm not, I don't know if I'm prepared for this or whatever it is. I mean, he knows. He has grace for all of it. And, and so when, when we're yielded like that and we have the right priorities and our eyes on the right things, that's when he can multiply disciples. And that's what we want. Whether they're in our church or not, we want people to be discipled and growing. And so if God has another place for them that's better for them, that they're going to be made into disciples somewhere else, and that's what's best for them, great, we're going to help that out. Because there's one body, one church. We happen to gather together for our body here, but we're part of a larger whole. And I'll be sharing in coming weeks and months the relationships that we're gaining with other leaders and the church of Manteca. Oh, my goodness. We've been meeting together and all these serving things are coming up. We're going to be organizing serving opportunities every month at each other's churches and other places and all of that and have it all culminate with a one church Manteca worship celebration to celebrate all that the Lord has done. You know, and I know that cities around us have done it, and it's not like this new thing that no one's ever done. I get all that. But, he, but he's going to continue to build on what he started in this area. I'm very excited. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. Thank you that you came to this earth in humility. Thank you that you, you led by example, by walking in humility and taking on the form of a servant, a bond servant. We want to be bond servants, Lord. We want to be willing servants. So we pray that you would use this body, Lord, for your glory, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, Lord, that we wouldn't strive, that we would completely be led by you. Thank you that your Holy Spirit does a much better job of building and maintaining and motivating and all those things than we can ever do those things. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to know our role, that you would help us to stay out of your way and not try to help you out. We're grateful, Jesus, you said you'd build your church. We know that's the only reason why the gates of Hades will not prevail against your church coming forward. Help this church always to be going forward, not staying still, not for sure not going backwards, Lord. We want you to be made famous. We want you to be seen. We want you to bring a great harvest of souls in to be discipled. And we want to just be a part of what you're already doing. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.